Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, October 22nd. I am Aranza Luisaga. These are today's headlines. President Trump lashing out at the impeachment investigation, calling it, quote, a lynching. This as 50% of Americans support Trump's removal from office, according to a new poll. A ceasefire is set to expire in Syria as the Kurds face continued retaliation from Turkish forces. America's former allies in the battle against ISIS now on the firing line. And in Bolivia, riots broke out overnight after electoral authorities announced President Evo Morales had won presidential elections, avoiding a runoff. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with President Trump using a racially charged term to describe the impeachment inquiry, calling the process a lynching. The president also lashing out at fellow Republicans, demanding the party stay united and defend him from Democrats. This as the most important testimony yet happens today on Capitol Hill, where top Ukraine diplomat Bill Taylor will answer questions behind closed doors. Rain Cassidy has more. It's been one month since the start of the impeachment inquiry and the president is upset, asking his fellow Republicans to be more like Democrats. I think they're lousy politicians, but two things they have. They're vicious and they stick together. They don't have Mitt Romney in their midst. Mitt Romney has said he's open to impeachment if the evidence shows wrongdoing. Other Republicans like Lindsey Graham have made similar comments. The president wants the party to unite and defend him. But the White House is trying to do damage control after acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney made a shocking admission during a press conference. Said in effect that they were holding up funding going to Ukraine in part based upon a desire to have Ukraine carry out an investigation with regards to the 2016 election and uh, and holding up funds to a foreign nation, particularly one that's uh, uh, under military threat in order to fulfill a political purpose is a real problem. Some say Republicans are trapped into defending President Trump, dreading the position they are in and the consequences it can have on their careers. Um, I, I hear them talk about how they wish they weren't doing this. And frankly, I think a lot of the retirements that we hear about are people who are just trying to ride out this president and they might think of coming back into public office later on once this president's gone. Trump calling the inquiry a lynching, saying on Twitter, so someday if a Democrat becomes president and the Republicans win the House even by a tiny margin, they can impeach the president without due process or fairness or any legal rights. All Republicans must remember what they are witnessing here, a lynching, but we will win. According to a recent poll by the New York Times and Siena College in the swing states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin and Arizona, the majority of voters are still standing by the president. Even though 50% support the inquiry, 53% oppose impeachment and removal. Meanwhile, Bill Taylor, the current ambassador to Ukraine, is key testimony in the inquiry. He was a person who said it was, quote, crazy to withhold funds in exchange for a political favor. He arrived in Capitol Hill on Tuesday, ready to give lawmakers some answers on why he sent that message and what exactly did he know and when. 
This, as the Washington Post reports, Russian President Putin and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban were the ones who soured the president to think of Ukraine as a corrupt nation, something that may have fueled the Biden-Ukraine conspiracy theory. Bill Taylor was, like many who have already testified, subpoenaed this morning, an official saying the State Department was trying to direct the ambassador not to appear. Tomorrow, Capitol Hill is expected to hear from Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Laura Cooper. Lawmakers are likely to ask her about the decision to freeze aid to Ukraine over the objections of the Pentagon. Aranza, back to you. Lorraine, thank you very much for this information. And let's go to Chris Liu. He served under President Obama as the White House Cabinet Secretary and also previously served as Deputy Chief Counsel of the House Oversight Committee. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Absolutely. So as we heard, former Ambassador Bill Taylor is on Capitol Hill testifying before closed doors. What will investigators be looking for? Well, they're going to probe him more on his contacts with Kurt Volker, who was the former envoy uh, to Ukraine, uh, as well as the conversations he had with Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the EU, about this idea of a quid pro quo. Uh, you'll recall that um, Mr. Taylor was concerned uh, that aid was being held up, and then he received a message back from Gordon Sondland saying there was no quid pro quo. Uh, we now know from press accounts that Ambassador Sondland was simply making that representation based on a conversation he had with the president. So that's going to be critical as to what uh, Mr. Taylor understood to be a quid pro quo, uh, as well as the circumstances of him serving in this position. And do you believe that the text messages where he expressed concern were purposefully written as a paper trail for a possible later investigation? Uh, you mean from uh, Ambassador Sondland? Yes. Yes, I do believe that. And I think the press accounts now suggest uh, Ambassador Sondland saying, um, I don't actually know uh, what the president thought. This is what he simply told me. And so there was clearly a sense that uh, a concern on Ambassador Sunland's part that somebody might uh, in the future look at these text messages. And so he wanted to cover his tracks. Now, House Democrats are slowing their impeachment timeline and will most likely hold a vote in December instead of around Thanksgiving time. What does that say to you? Well, I think that they Democrats... Um, Frankly, I've been surprised by the number of cooperating witnesses. You'll recall that the White House Counsel's Office said they were not cooperating at all. And what you've seen is a steady parade of both former and current officials who are willing to talk to Capitol Hill. And, and they, they deserve great credit for doing that because many of them could lose their jobs. So you're going to have this steady parade of witnesses. And I think they're going to start to get their hands on some documents as well. So um, I think this is a sign of how fruitful this investigation has been. Now, President Trump tweeted this morning calling the impeachment inquiry a lynching. Reactions then coming in. Senator Lindsey Graham, for instance, defended the president, saying it's accurate, while House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy disagreed, saying, quote, that's not language I would use. So give us your reaction. You know, look, this is a president who understands very clearly when he uses racially charged rhetoric. Uh, obviously, lynching has a very unfortunate history. Uh, in, uh, in the United States, particularly with regard to African-Americans. And so I don't believe this was an accident on the president's part. Uh, he obviously feels like he is under siege, but um, he's trying to evoke a very emotional response among his followers. And I think this kind of language, no matter how aggrieved the president feels, uh, has no place in politics. But we know it wouldn't be the first time that he has a reaction using racially charged terms, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, this is a president who... Uh, operates with subtext all day long, and he's clearly trying to appeal to 
that very small minority of his um, of his support that uh, embraces uh, white supremacy, and 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 this is a this is a, an appeal to them. Uh, and yes, you're 100 percent right. Uh, going back to Charlottesville in August of 2017, he understands perfectly well what he's saying. Now, Chris, according to the latest CNN poll, 50 percent of Americans support impeaching President Trump. But what's interesting is that his job approval remains the same at 41 yeah. percent as it was in August and September before even the House started the impeachment yeah. probe. So what do you make of these latest numbers? Well, what's interesting is that 50 percent number far eclipses uh, the number whoever thought Bill Clinton should be impeached. And it really is that 50 percent compares really to the percent that thought Richard Nixon should be impeached before he resigned. So that's remarkably high. And I think that shows both the seriousness of the allegations and how quickly everything has come out. But what you also see is that the president's support is still pretty firm at 41 percent. That really doesn't go up or down much, uh, plus or minus a couple percent. Uh, and I think that sort of shows both good and bad. Um, his supporters are going to stick with him. But it also shows, I think, the challenges for his reelection uh, next year if he can never really rise above 41 percent. And of course, with all of this unfolding, President Trump called for party unity yesterday during his cabinet meeting. Is President Trump worried about a splintering within the party? Well, you already see that now. And it's not just Mitt Romney who is uh, putting country above party in speaking out against the president's actions. You see increasingly a large number of uh, House Republicans uh, uh, starting to retire. And I think a lot of them are increasingly uncomfortable with the president's behavior. And I think that's a wild card that's going to be hard for him to control because House members not running up for re-election don't have to worry about getting on the president's bad side. Uh, and that is certainly a, a moving target uh, in any future impeachment vote. Chris, this is very enlightening. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. My pleasure. And the clock is ticking in northern Syria. There are just hours left in a ceasefire between Turkey and the Kurds. But it appears the fighting never did stop completely and could ramp up once again as Kurds accuse the United States and President Trump of betrayal. Janet Rodriguez has the latest from Washington, D.C. Today, northern Syria, a fast approaching deadline. Today is the final day of the ceasefire. We expect that temporary ceasefire, uh, that temporary de-escalation to transition into permanent by the end of the afternoon. At 5 p.m. Eastern time, that five-day ceasefire or pause between Turkey and the Kurds ends, though it seems it never completely started. Both sides accusing the other of breaking the agreement. Turkey's president Erdogan saying he expects the Kurds to have withdrawn from a 20-mile safe zone or else their full-scale military operation will resume. Today, Erdogan meeting with Russia's Vladimir Putin, a sign of increasing Russian influence. Desperate Kurds trying to block the path of departing American convoys holding signs saying, thank you U.S. people, but Trump betrayed us. But the president maintains. We fought with them for three and a half to four years. We never agreed to protect the Kurds for the rest of their lives. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo not ruling out military intervention, telling CNBC. We prefer peace to war. But in the event that um, kinetic action or military action is needed, you should know that President Trump is fully prepared to undertake that action. Further increasing unrest, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad touring the front lines with his country's troops. <laughs> Calling Turkey's President Erdogan a thief, saying he stole factories, wheat and oil, and is now stealing land. Al-Assad promising to take back the territory his country has lost. 
President Trump says some troops will be staying in Syria, but only to secure oil. Other troops are expected to go to Iraq, but now that country says they're not permitted to stay there. In Washington, Janet Rodriguez, U News. Thank you, Janet, for this information. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin and Turkish President Erdogan are gathering today in the Russian resort city of Sochi. Their meeting comes on the last day of a five-day pause in fighting in northern Syria. Turkey has said all Syrian Kurdish fighters must withdraw from towns along the Syria border in the Turkey area before it will end its incursion. And now let's go to Texas. A tornado left a trail of heavy damage and power outages across the Dallas area. But as Pedro Rojas reports, even though there were no fatalities, the local community now begins a long recovery effort. Dozens of workers and neighbors are now starting recovery efforts after a strong tornado hit Dallas, Texas. Itzel Hernandez says that she saw it outside her house on Sunday night. We saw the tornado and how it was heading to hit other residential areas. Thank God we did not have the experience, she says. The weather system not only impacted Dallas, but at least 60 more counties in Texas, prompting Texas Governor Greg Abbott to issue a disaster declaration for those areas. Dallas city officials highlighted the fact that no human lives were lost during the storm. Consider ourselves very fortunate that we did not lose any lives, no fatalities, and no serious injuries in last night's storms. More than 100,000 people were left without power, and schools around the city were closed. And this is just one of the examples of the effects left by the tornado here in the Dallas metropolitan area. Can it feel like kind of like an earthquake? It started moving the house around and a lot of whistling, all that wind. And then you could hear like branches hitting the, the um, windows and stuff. The National Weather Service has classified the storm as an F3 tornado with winds of more than 140 miles per hour. In Dallas, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. Immigrants and civil liberties advocates are concerned about a new rule proposed by the Trump administration that would authorize immigration officers to start collecting DNA from migrants at the border and those already in ICE custody. Jaime Garcia has more on what this could mean. Controversy after a rule change published by the Department of Justice that would require Border Patrol and ICE agents to obtain a DNA sample from immigrants detained while crossing the southern border in the same way that is required for those arrested committing a crime. I think it's very troubling. I think it's just one more step in this administration criminalizing immigrants and trying to make them look like a danger to our community, to our country. Nine years ago, Homeland Security Secretary Janet Lapolitano exempted CBP and ICE agents from obtaining DNA from immigrants because of a lack of resources. But now current U.S. Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen indicating writing that the proposed rule change will help to save lives and bring criminals to justice by restoring the authority of the Attorney General to authorize and direct the collection of DNA from no United States persons detained at the border and in the interior by DHS with the ultimate goal of reducing victimization of innocent citizens. Officers are not qualified to do these kind of collections. I think um, I foresee that if this is something that does happen, there's going to be a lot of con con contamination, a lot of errors made. Patricia Ortiz is the director of the Esperanza Project of Catholic Charities. 
In the thousands of cases that we've dealt with here at Esperanza, we have not had any cases denied because of criminal history in home country. It is not clear yet if the new rule will include those immigrants who are seeking asylum at the international points of entry. The DNA can be used to identify the American family members of the detained immigrants. I think we have no idea what they're going to do with this information. Before the rule can be instituted, it will be subject to 20 days of public comments. Immigrant and civil rights organizations have said that if this change of rules is coming into effect, they will go to the courts to stop them. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. And now let's go to Bolivia where fierce clashes broke out in the streets of La Paz on Monday after Bolivia's electoral board released new data showing President Evo Morales had enough votes to win his hotly contested election, sparking allegations of fraud from the opposition. Nidia Cavazos explains. Monday evening, Bolivia's police shot back at protesters as they tried to break into the National Electoral Court. The sound of rubber bullets and tear gas canisters exploding rocked the capital of La Paz. Bolivia says no, demonstrators shouted across city streets after electoral authorities announced President Evo Morales is set to win the presidential election. Morales will likely avoid a runoff election against candidate Carlos Mesa by having a lead of more than 10% of the total votes. We won just once more, four consecutive elections in Bolivia. This is how Bolivia's incumbent president, Evo Morales, declared victory after Sunday's election results put him ahead of his rival, former president Carlos Mesa. After voting booth closed on Sunday evening, the initial results showed Morales had a lead against Mesa, but he fell short of the votes required to avoid a runoff election. The opposition grew suspicious of Morales' near victory after the count abruptly stopped updating the votes for nearly 24 hours on Sunday. When the count was updated on Monday evening, Morales had a lead of 10.2 percentage points over Mesa, successfully evading a second election in December. Opponents are accusing electoral officials of helping Morales avoid the runoff battle, and presidential hopeful Mesa is accusing Morales of manipulating the vote count. Quiero a través de los medios de comunicación aquí presentes, tanto de nivel nacional como de nivel internacional. Through the media here, both national and international, I want to denounce that without any nuance that the government is attempting to, through the Electoral Supreme Tribunal, to eliminate the path to the second round that was clearly established yesterday. Mesa also called on Bolivians to continue organizing against Morales to prevent another fraudulent presidency. The news yesterday showed that Evo Morales didn't accept going to the second round. He sees himself the winner without directly seeing the final results. Well, I think we should go to the second round and see how far they can go. It was a tough final all around the country. The official and final count is not due for seven days. If the final count determines Evo Morales will not have to face a runoff election, then he will be declared president and will continue his presidency that started in 2006. Aranza, back to you. More of your news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the story from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And for the latest in today's tech news, let's go to Annabelle Sedano. Hi there, that's right. And we begin with this. Security experts have found hackers are able to listen in on Amazon Alexa and Google Home users' conversations without their knowledge and ultimately steal sensitive information such as passwords in a phishing attack. It can happen when users download custom apps which are exploitable in the backend allowing access to functions that developers can use to customize the commands to how it responds. And listen to this one. Facebook is looking to combat any potential fake news from being shared on its networks during the 2020 elections. Facebook has announced that they will start to flag posts on Facebook and Instagram that might potentially contain fake news. Over the next month, content across Facebook and Instagram that has been rated false or partly false by a third-party fact-checker will start to be more prominently labeled. And finally, Nintendo wants gamers to get a little workout when they play. The company released a new game called Ring Fit Adventure. Instead of using buttons, players perform real-world exercises to move the characters in the game. All of this works because of two new devices, the Ring Con and a leg strap. Nintendo says players use the accessories to jog, squat, and high knee their way through stages. So there you have it. Get a little workout in when you game. All right, I'm Annabelle Sedano. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.